Okay. If you want to turn with me to Revelation chapter 16, we're getting pretty close here to making it through. Revelation. So, probably like 80% of the way done, even though we got a couple chapters left here. Let's read uh, Revelation 16 and then we'll pray. And starting in verse 1. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth seven bowls of the wrath of God. And so the first angel went and poured his bowl on the earth, and harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like blood. And every living thing that died that was in the sea. And a third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel in charge of the water say, Just are you, O holy one, who is and was, for you brought these judgments. For they have shed the bloods of the saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. It is what they deserve. And I heard the altar saying, Yes, Lord, God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch the people with fire. And they were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness, and people gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores. They did not repent of their deeds. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare a way for the kings from the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs, for they are demonic spirits performing signs who go abroad to the kings of the whole world to assemble them for battle on the great day of God the Almighty. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. And they assembled them at the place in Hebrew that is called Armageddon. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl to the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were flashes of lightnings and rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was the earthquake. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. And every island fled away, and no mountains were to, were to be found, and great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people, and they cursed God for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe. All right, let's pray together here. God, would you just help us? Um, would you give us clarity in thinking and hearing and um, speaking as we read your word? Give us wisdom and help. I pray most of all you'd help glorify yourself and um, help us to be more like you. We want to apply these things to our life. We want to understand who you are and um, relate to you rightly. We just hand this to you. We're asking in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. All right. Well, you may feel like, haven't we already covered this chapter? And if you feel like that, that might mean that you 
you're perceiving something that's really real in the book of Revelation, which is there's this repetition. And even though we actually haven't covered this particular chapter, we've covered the seals, the seven seals, and the seven trumpets, and now we're to the seven bowls. And actually, the seven, there's these three repetitions of seven are very, very similar. And I will, um, I'm going to spare you a chart comparing them all <laughs> because, um, yeah, we could spend the whole time on that. But the big difference between this and the others is the imagery is heightened. And so instead of uh, some of the fish dying, it's, or a third of the fish dying, it's all the fish. And over and over, these same things that this imagery is even more severe in this last round of repetition. We talked about in the past how, I'm going to review a little bit here, but that the book of Revelation repeats over and over. We see actually see the end of the world a couple different times here, the last judgment. Some people, of course, separate that. They think that there's the throne of judgment and the great white throne, and these are different events. The way it seems to me is that this is a repetition. It's repeating with different emphasis, that there aren't these separate judgments. Um, we don't need to figure out all these different timelines we can just say that this is this is a repetition. And one way that seems pretty clear is when we compared these things to Matthew 24. You're, uh, I think you might remember when we looked at that, we had a chart <laughs> comparing how many of these judgments uh, are were definitely fulfilled in the time of the temple being destroyed. But they also apply throughout the end of the age. Just, rem- just one thing that helps us to remember this is that we are in the last days. The Bible is very clear about that. We're in the last days, that after Jesus was resurrected, the last days started. I'll give you a couple of verses here on that. Acts two sixteen through 21. Um, this was what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be that God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And even on my male servants and my female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. And the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, this was at the time of Pentecost, uh, and it says that, that prophecy that we just read in Joel about the last days started in Pentecost. And so we know that we're in the last days. Another way that we know this is also from Matthew 24. I'll read that as well. This uses a little bit different terms here, the end of the age. Um, But it's the same thought. This is Jesus. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him saying, Tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, and see that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, for the end is not yet. For a nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are but the beginning of the birth pains. So he's talking about the end of the age, and he's talking about, uh, it seems pretty clear, the uh, temple being destroyed. But he says they're just the beginnings of the birth pains. So all these things, the earthquakes, the wars, that these are going to be things that happen throughout the, the last days or the end of the age, um, this last age before the returning of Christ. And we're still in that. And one thing that, like I said, is different about Revelation 16 is that it seems heightened. 
it may be that this is saying that towards the end of the end of the end of the world before Jesus returns that it's going to get worse um, and what I want to start out in terms of application is this let's say that these things are all literal okay uh, I'm I'm not sure exactly how much of this is literal there's a lot of figurative language here and but I'm going to just say for the sake of argument and application what if they were all literal what if all these things were just perfectly literal and what I would say is this that even if if that was the case we still have hope right even if even if all these you know um, none of these are figurative which there's a lot of figurative imagery here I'm going to just kind of um, pass over that. There's a lot of similarities to the ten plagues in Egypt and the de- defeating of the gods there. I'm gonna, we've noted that before, but I'm going to note that here. But let's just say it's all exactly literal. It reminds me of Psalm 46, and I'll read that to you. God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, and though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, Though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Well, that's exactly what it's talking about here, isn't it? The mountains, there's going to be no mountains, it says. It says the islands are going to flee. And then listen to this next part. It also fits really well with Revelation. This is Psalm 46. I'll just keep reading here. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God the holy habitation of the Most High. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord and how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Psalm 46 really fits well with every single piece of this, really. It's talking about even if the worst happens, right? If, if the earth is shaking, where could you flee? Well, maybe the sea. Well, but the, sea, the waters are roaring and foaming. What does that mean? There's nowhere to go. Um, there's no refuge. Well, at least not physically. But who is our refuge? Christ, the Lord. The God of Jacob, it says here, we know him as King of Kings. And even if there's wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, death, famine, disease, all these things, we aren't left without hope. Our hope is in Christ. And that's the good news, that this is a helpful way to think about things. If we can set our mind on kind of maybe some extreme cases, even if everything is taken, all physical comforts, there's nowhere to flee, whether it's politically, whether it's physically, whether it even just, it's talking about disease, you know, as well. Not just things on the outside, but even our own bodies, you know, having illness and sickness and pestilence and disease. Even if all that happens, is God good? Is he able to sustain us? Is he able to carry us through to the end? It's a helpful thought. It's helpful because we go through smaller doses of that all the time, don't we? I mean, whether it's just sickness, like going around, uh, 
if we can set our mind that we're going to trust the Lord, that He's able to sustain us even in the worst moments, even if everything crashes around us, then when little things start crashing around us, we can trust. They'll argue from the greater to the lesser. Does that make sense? But if we can set our minds to trusting Christ even in the worst of circumstances, that when things go wrong, we can know, I'm going to trust Christ here. We want to be prepared. What I'd like to do as well in talking about Revelation 16 is, because we've talked about so much of it before, I'm going to focus on a few things that are different and that we haven't really talked about. So we're going to focus in on a few verses here that are a little bit different than the other chapters and applications that maybe we haven't necessarily drawn yet. I want you to look at Revelation 16.15 with me. 16.15. All what we said before, we've talked about in the past on some of these things. This is a little different, and I want to really take time and kind of think about this, a few things in this chapter, specifically starting in verse 15. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. There's a command here, a call for us. It sounds a lot like Matthew 24 as well. Um, We want to be alert. We want to be ready. I want to take a moment and talk about trajectory. Uh, Talk about the different responses to this whole situation. All these difficult things are going on. And what are the responses? Well, Jesus says here, and His command to us is we should be ready, awake, keeping our garments on. There's a lot there. Let's, well, we'll go over a little bit of it, but there's people that are trusting in the Lord. There's people that are forgiven, washed in the blood of Christ, that are ready to be His servants, ready for His, his return. And that's what He wants us to be. But there's another response as well in this chapter that's just the opposite to all these difficult circumstances. Let's read 6, now let's read 9 through 11. This is the negative example. We start with the positive. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God who had power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and its kingdom was plunged into darkness, and the people gnawed their tongues in anguish and cursed the God of heaven for their pain and sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. You can contrast that, we can keep contrasting it, you see that in 15, we talked about last week, the song of the Lamb, you know, they're praising God for His justice and righteousness and His goodness. And here it's the opposite. Cursing. Blaspheming God. Instead of praising Him. And we see these two different responses. God's wanting us to have a trusting response, to be ready, to be His servant, to be uh, ready for his appearing, looking forward to it in a way. Uh, it doesn't say that exactly here, but we know from the book of Revelation that we're supposed to be looking forward to his appearing. And it's just the opposite for the world. And so it's a good opportunity to think about trajectory or two opposite responses to the same situation. 
I'll, let's say let's use a uh, illustration here. The same sun that hardens the clay melts the ice. Right? The same exact light and heat that's coming down hardens one and melts the other. And that's a question we can ask ourselves. In times of difficulty, what's our response? Are we awake? Are we ready to serve God, to trust Him? Or in the difficult moments, do we actually grow hardened and grow less trusting and grow upset and even to the point of cursing God? We want to be growing. We want to be ready. We want to be awake. Even in the midst of difficulty. I'll read you a verse here from Peter that kind of says the same thing in a little bit of a different way. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your, your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, that verse in Second Peter, this is Second Peter 1, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing. The idea of trajectory, the idea of even in the midst of difficulty, whatever is going on in our life, are we pressing on to know God more, to grow more into His likeness? It's an important question. This is a common theme in Scripture of the same event causing two opposite responses. You might think of Second Corinthians where it talks about Christ being the fragrance of life to some and the fragrance of death to those who are perishing. That this same event, Jesus' return, God's judgment of the earth and sin, to one is fragrance of death and to the other the fragrance of life. We could just take a moment and think over this past year or six months or am I growing? Am I trusting? Have I grown sleepy? Am I ready to be a servant to do what God has me to do? You know, at first you might well we need to think about everything biblically so it's actually quite a hard thing to evaluate ourselves. We are, called, we are called to examine ourselves. We need to do it in line with Scripture. I mean, one thing, we may be growing in humility, right? What if, we, what if this year was a hard year and what we've grown in is humility? That's a good thing. Maybe something else. It may be that over this year, it's been a hard year, but God, you're learning to trust Him more and more, to praise Him even in difficult circumstances. You know, we don't look at results, but we look at our relationship with God. It reminds me of Psalm 1, again, a very similar contrast of the wicked and those who are trusting the Lord. And how does it describe those who are trusting the Lord? They're like trees planted by streams of water, yielding fruit in its season. Leaf does not wither. These are all things over time. That over the long haul, the tree is growing. It's drawing life. It's producing fruit. 
the wicked, it says, are so they're like the tra- chaff that the wind drives away. And so we can just ask ourselves again: Is the are we more like the clay that the sun is hardening, or are we more like the ice that the sun melts? Are we soft? Are we softened by difficulty? Softened towards God? Or are we hardened? It's important to think about. Um, we want to be growing. We want to be closer. It's not easy. It's not easy. You might say, well, I'm not really sure. <laughs> That's okay. We can pray just like David did. Lord, search me and know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We want to grow. But there may be a, just a moment of reflection because we can get complacent. It's easy to get complacent and to just be satisfied where we are and not want to not want to keep growing, keep pressing on. I mean, we know from this whole section that there's a lot against us. The sin, there's sin inside of us. There's sin on the outside. There's the world, the flesh and the devil, we could say. And the world wants to make us sleepy. And so we can just ask ourselves, are we alert? Are we awake? Are we ready? Are we doing all that we would would and should be doing if Christ was going to return in a month or in a week? Because one day that's going to be real. It might be just us going home to be with the Lord. It might be just us dying. But one day our days are going to end or maybe Christ literally returning. But it's going to be cut short. And just like Jesus talked about it's not going to be the day we expect. So that's one question to ask ourselves. Are we awake? Are we ready? Are we alert? I want to add a little bit to that. Just dig in a little bit deeper on the idea of being alert, being awake. Not just contrasting the positive and the negative, but if we want to emulate the positive, let's think more, maybe a little bit more deeply about this alertness, readiness. I hinted at this before, but first, just are you forgiven by Jesus? Staying awake, keeping his garments on that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. Well, there's a lot of illustrations that are used like this in the Bible. Um, This one doesn't have a lot of context. It's just this one line in the midst of this section. So I'm just going to draw on some other parts of Scripture where this illustration is used, but one certainly is person who's not forgiven I'll give you a couple verses here Revelation 22 14 blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and enter the city by the gates we've got to wash our robes in the blood of the lamb that's the first thing we've got to do to be ready are we forgiven have we really trusted Christ that he's washed away our sins by his blood that our faith is fully in him not in anything we do or in working our way, but in Christ alone. That's the first thing. And if that's the case, that's good news. That's the most important way we can be ready, is to be truly forgiven, to be sons and daughters through faith. And that's no small thing. That's a big thing. And so we can just, one, ask ourselves that, but also pray for others, pray for our kids, pray for our family members pray for our friends that we that we know that don't know the Lord and just we want them to be ready not only that 
But at the beginning, that's the beginning of salvation is trusting the Lord. But there's another illustration that Jesus uses similar to this where he's talking about the servants meeting the master and it's and they're not ready. And that's more in the sense of are we obeying? Once we're forgiven, are we obedient? Kind of like Aaron was talking about. That when we come to Christ, it's nothing that we've done, but out of love we obey him. It doesn't earn our salvation, but it's the fruit of love. It's because we love him, we want to obey him. I'll read you this section here. If you want to turn with me to Luke 12, it's a little bit longer, but it's so closely related. I, might, I think it's good to read, read it. Luke 12, towards the end of the chapter, 30, starting in verse 35. While you're turning there, Luke 12, 35. I'll read you a verse from Revelation that's similar to this. The nation raised, your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and the rewarding of your servants, the prophets and the saints, those who fear your name, both small and great. The idea of the, the last day being the day that a servant meets its master. Your servants, the rewarding of your servants. Let's read Luke 12, starting in verse 35. Again, the same idea that we're, we're alert, we're awake as servants to God. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. Be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that you may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table, and he will come and serve them. And if he comes in the second watch and the third, and finds them awake, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. You must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Peter said, Lord, are you telling this, are you telling this parable for us or for all? And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom his master will set over his household to give him the portion of food at the proper time. Blessed is the servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, My master is delayed in coming, and begins to beat the female and male servants, and to eat and drink and get drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect, and at an hour when he does not know, and will cut him in pieces." And put him with the unfaithful. And the servant who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act accordingly to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what de did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And to whom him whom they entrusted much, they will demand much more. See this similar situation here, uh, judgment. We see a lot of the similar themes here that. Christ has servants, and he's going to be returning when they don't know. And he's his command, stay dressed for action. Stay dressed for action. In the midst of these you know, things we read in Revelation 16, the difficulties, we're here for a purpose. We're not under the wrath of God because we're under Christ's blood. Why are we still here? Because God has something for us to do. We're here for a purpose in the midst of difficulty to serve him, 
to be like him, and he'll be with us as we're, as we're going through it. But we want to stay ready. You know, there's the, the chart that we have looked at so many times of the different uh, views of Revelation and how the main things stay in the middle. You know, sometimes those external areas that we talked about that aren't the main message can get in the way of the main message. That if you really believe that Jesus is going to, for example, return and all the Christians are going to be raptured, we really don't have to be ready for action. Right? In the last day, he's just going to pull us out. You know? And the reality is, is um, in, in terms of this, we've got stuff that we should be doing even until the last moment. That we're servants, ready to serve him. And so we don't want to let we don't want to let some of those other views, you know, uh, about the millennium and the rapture and those kind of things, take away from the things that are very clear. It's so clear here that we're supposed to be staying dressed for action and ready to serve him. That's very clear. No one can argue with that. Um, but unfortunately, some of those secondary views can kind of erode that, maybe even unconsciously. And so we just want to be aware of that. Um, and I'm not saying that's always the case. I'm, I know there are people that believe in the rapture that are ready to serve him um, every day. And, but we just want to be aware of that, you know, that, that that's a possibility. Um, to have the secondary things erode the main things. But back to the idea of alert and awake. We want to be ready to meet the Lord and we want to be ready to serve him while we're here. We have opportunities where we are to serve Christ. That That's who we are. We're his servants. And that's a question we might ask ourselves. Not, you know, one way we could ask ourselves is, is there anything I should be doing that I'm not doing? Or is there anything I am doing that I shouldn't be doing? Both those pieces are in this illustration or in this command. Uh, we don't want to be doing something like beating the slaves. He's, he's I think, beating, does it say beating the slaves? Um, I think it says beating the slaves. And, uh, or it might say, okay, I, I'll uh, look at it in just a second. <laughs> I've got to stay focused on my, my thought here. Uh, we don't want to be, we want to be doing all that he has us to do and not be doing anything he doesn't want us to do. Uh, that's one way to think about it. But another way we could think about it too is, is this who I see myself as? Right? Do I see myself as a servant of Jesus? That has downstream effects. If you wake up in the morning and you really believe who you are is, I'm the servant of God. That's my purpose. My purpose is to serve him, to be like him, and to be with him all my days. That means today. I'm here to serve God today. And I want to serve him in a way that honors him. I don't want to do it in a dishonoring way. We could, like he says here, he begins to beat the male and female slaves or servants and to eat and drink and get drunk. We don't want to do that. But part of it comes in knowing who you are in Christ. You're redeemed, you're new, you're made new, and you really are his servant. God really wants to use, use you every day. And if we get out of bed, the first thing we think is something like, how can I make myself comfortable today? That leads us on a different trajectory than, God, I want to serve you today. Right? Right? 
We want to be ready. And part of it starts with seeing ourselves rightly in, in God's eyes. And it may be for opposite reasons. I mean, somebody might actually think, oh, God can't use me because I'm whatever. That happens over and over in the Bible. Think about Moses. Oh, God, surely you're not the one, you're not wanting to send me. I, I don't speak very well. Remember that? And God's actually upset with him. Who makes man ma- man's mouth? You know, he says. I will be with you. It could be a situation like that where you think God has less for you to do than you actually have to do. God can use you wherever you are, whatever, wherever God has placed you, he put you there for a purpose. And so we don't want to degrade that or, or think less of God than he has for us. He's able to use you. If he's able to use Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's able to use you. <laughs> You know, you remember you remember Genesis how they're always making pretty big mistakes, <laughs> and God still used them, and we can be thankful for that. I got a verse here that I really like. It's you know how some verses get kind of famous and like every, like Psalm twenty three or John three sixteen. There's some verses that at least for me have really helped me, and uh, they're not. You know, I'll give you one of them here. This one, it seems like maybe this should be a famous verse because it's a really good verse. This is in Proverbs fourteen twenty two. Do not, do they not go astray who devise evil? Those who devise good meet steadfast love and faithfulness. I like this verse. It's it's I it's the idea of what we've all been talking about in terms of being ready for action. It's saying you use your mind. Every person is a creative person in the sense that. You can think things up. You can imagine things that don't exist, what they could be, what you could be doing today or tomorrow. And this says, well, devising evil, planning things that are wrong, create, creating things in your mind that are, that are sinful, that's bad. Uh, you're going to go astray. But those who devise good meet steadfast love and faithfulness. If you use your mind to think, how can I do good today? How can I, God, what good thing could I do for the people around me, for the people that I work with, for the people in my family, for the people in my neighborhood, for the people in the community? What good thing that I'm not thinking of can I devise, can I think, can I create in my mind? Can I think up? Using our energies that way, it says we meet steadfast love and faithfulness. That's a pretty amazing promise there. When you're ready to serve and you're thinking up ways how to do good to people, God is actually going to meet you with steadfast love and faithfulness. It's like God's going to join in with you on those things and be there. And that word steadfast love, you know, we've talked about before, covenant love. Um, he loves us. We may not do it perfectly. We're going to think up things. Maybe this would be a blessing. Maybe this would help people. And then, No. It didn't. <laughs> we did. You know, we didn't think it through, or we didn't. Uh, we didn't do it exactly right, and that's okay. It's covenant love, right? Which is God's love for us, despite us. Perfect love. He's faithful even when we. He's faithful not because we're perfect. He's faithful because He loves us, and He promised to continue to love us. But all that is to say, we can be servants. We can be stay awake, devise with our minds things. Good. How can we do good today? 
then I'm going to give you one final kind of a, actually two, a positive and a negative illustration from history on some of these things. I'll give you first the negative. I was just, um, some of you probably know Frederick Douglass. He was a slave. Uh, he ended up being freed. He, he wrote a lot. He actually went around speaking later on in his life. But he tells a story in his autobiography about um, how one of his masters, a particularly evil master, gets converted. And he kind of talks, up, or he, he professes he's a Christian now. And it really reminded me of this section that we read about staying alert, and then especially in Luke where it talks about he finds his master, that Christ is going to come and find some actually mistreating, beating the male and female servants. He, um, he tells a story how he, uh, he, they would go to church together and, and they would have little services, you know, where all the slaves are there. And, and the master would command certain ones to sing, you know, you, you know, Frederick, you need to sing for us this morning. And sometimes he would say, no, Frederick would say, no, I'm not going to sing. Um, and he talks about how you know, they would go and they would have these meetings where they were all supposedly brothers in Christ. And then in, during the week, you know, the master would beat, you know, slaves. Like there was one particular dip, horrible beating of a, of a crippled slave girl. And it, he was just commenting on the, the contradiction. It's like this guy's life did not match what Christ is literally this verse. You know, it's like, saying Christ is coming and then acting in a way that is so evil, you know, um, as if he's not coming. It, it's just a warning to us, you know. It's a warning that, is there any area in our life where we're compromising, where we've deceived ourselves, where this isn't that big of a deal? Is there any area that, and it may be something where it started before you were a Christian and you haven't considered it, you haven't placed it under the lordship of Jesus yet. We really want to think about that. Uh, it's really important. That's, uh, it's a terrifying, really terrifying, that we can see, we can deceive ourselves so much. Where We have that capability as humans. Here's a positive story in terms of being ready. Uh, this is about Spurgeon, and I think I've shared this before, but there was a cholera outbreak in London, like really, really bad. And I, it actually fits pretty well with this whole, you know, the plagues and, and different things. Here's a situation that's horrible, and what would we do if we're ready? God, how can I do good here? How can I be your servant here? And this is a story from Spurgeon's life. This is his words. I recollect when I first came to London how anxiously people listened to the gospel for the cholera was raging terribly. There was little scoffing then. All day and sometimes all night long I went about from house to house and saw men and women dying and oh how, oh, how glad they were to see my face when many were afraid to enter the house lest they should catch the dead, deadly disease who had no fear about such... We who had no fear about such things found ourselves most gladly listened to when we spoke of Christ. Well... We have to kind of read between the lines there, but basically the situation is cholera is really bad. A lot of people are dying. I, I don't remember the statistics, but it was um, really bad, like worse than COVID. <laughs> um, and a lot of people died, 
And there was pastors that wouldn't go visit people. And Spurgeon said, you know, people were receptive. In these moments of difficulty, that there's there are people who are hardened like clay and curse God. You know, we just read about that. But there's going to be some that are softened and actually are saved. And Spurgeon said he saw many of those in, in the midst of difficulties that the sun melted the ice, not the other way around. And so that's good news. But we've got to be ready, ready to trust the Lord, not fearful of all the things going on around us, but ready and open to what he has us to do. Because in those moments, if we don't, if we're not ready, if we're not trusting, if we don't know that he's still in control, we're going to miss opportunities, great opportunities, maybe the best opportunities. And so it's something really we want to be ready for. Well, since it's so much before noon here, <laughs> and I've got, I'll tell you one more. Um, I got another illustration. I didn't know if I had time for this. I really like this. This is another illustration from history, and that really, when I think about this, being ready in the midst of difficulty to just say a word or trust the Lord and how much that echoes and helps both believers and but unbelievers too, as we saw with Spurgeon. This is a, this is just another illustration that even in the midst of, you know, all these the most terrifying realities we can think of, you know, basically that's what Revelation sixteen is. Every area that you can think of things going wrong, it's describing. And yet, he's calling us to be ready to serve him, to be awake, to be alert. And then a good example of that that comes to my mind is Darlene Rose. I don't know if you if if you haven't listened to Darlene Rose's testimony, I can give you the CD because it's really powerful. Like, it's really really good. Um, she was a missionary with her husband in pa- uh, oh, New Guinea. Is that right? It, islands that eventually Japan took over in World War II. And they both ended up going into prison camps, Japanese prison prisoner of war camps. But one thing that made me think of this was her husband, that they knew that people were being taken away, and they came and they took the men and the women, they separated them. And this is her account of her husband's last words. We don't know what actually happened because he ended up dying in the prison camp. But this is her last interaction with him. So they took her husband, and he's getting in the back of the the truck. And this is what he says. Just remember one thing, dear. God said he would never, never leave us or forsake us. That's his final words to his wife. It just struck me. It's not, that's not an example of somebody paralyzed by fear, but somebody who's trusting the Lord. I just, I think about the value of that one statement, how it glorified God. Just remember one thing, dear. God said he will never, never leave us or forsake us. In this midst of these terrifying circumstances, which were really terrifying, they, were, they had heard stories before of the Japanese shock troops and what they would do and how they would treat people, and it was bad. Uh, it was really, really bad. But he wasn't you know, paralyzed by fear. In the midst of that, the most real thing to him was still God. Remember. God's, this is my paraphrase, God's going to help you. He promised. He wouldn't. He wouldn't leave us. He's going to be with us, even in the midst of this great difficulty. And it was very difficult. Um, yeah, if you do listen to that, you may want to listen to it before you listen to it with your kids, because it's pretty, it's pretty dark. 
but in the end, it's glorifying to God. And, and I just think about that. Here he was, ready to be a servant of God, and encouraged me many times. It's encouraged me many times throughout my life. And that one little statement, he had no idea. It was just for his wife, you know. He didn't know she was going to survive or write a book or anything like that. But there's opportunities for us. You don't know. We don't know. This, to summarize this whole thing, one thing we can take away is you don't know what God could use this week in your life if you're ready. There may be one little thing that you say to somebody that really makes a difference, an appeal for them to trust the Lord, a reminder of something true, that God's with them. Um, anyone who trusts, trusts him, he promised he would never leave us or forsake us. You just don't know how that God's going to use that. Um, we want to be ready. We want to be awake. Even in the midst of, of difficulties. And here we are. We're in the midst of a world. This actually fits pretty well with things going on in the world, doesn't it? There's a lot of difficulties. There's wars and rumors of wars. and There's a lot of things going on in the world. We can be ready. We can know that God's in control, that we're here for a purpose, that he's not going to leave us. And if we have trusted him and our robes are washed white in his blood, that we don't have anything to fear. Uh, ultimately, we're, even if we die, we'll be with the Lord. And so we can trust him, be ready to serve him today. Well, why don't we close here in prayer and Lord, we just look to you and we do ask for forgiveness just for how many times we get so self-focused and um, are sleepy and are just trying to make it through the day um, not looking for opportunities to serve you. We ask for you to help us. Um, help us to think rightly about who you are, um, about who we are in Christ. And we want to be people that devise good and meet steadfast love and faithfulness. We we need help. Um, pray you'd help us, give us clear thinking, and fill us our hearts with love for the people around us. And we do pray just like in the time of cholera with Spurgeon that people would be saved. We want to see more people saved and come to know you. Pray that for all these difficult situations in the world. Think about uh, the Middle East, all the stuff going on over there, and um, Russia and Ukraine and all these other places where there's these difficulties going on. I pray you to strengthen the Christians there, and I pray that you would use it in the lives of people that don't know you to really see their need for you and for you as as their refuge. Or just pray, pray for that. Pray there would be a lot. Um, we just hand that to you. We're thankful that you're in control and that none of these things surprise you. Thank you most of all, Jesus, for dying for us and for making all any of this possible uh, by washing us by your blood and filling us with your spirit. We're thankful. Help us today, uh, the rest of the day, just to serve you where, wherever you've put us. We just hand this to you and ask it in your name. Amen. All right, we're dismissed and no meal, so...